In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today we have a very special guest with us, Keith Fix, CEO and co-founder of Retail Aware. Keith, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Bobby. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, appreciate you taking some time here uh, out of your busy schedule to spend some time with our with our listeners here. Yeah, definitely. Always a pleasure. Without you know going into into the detail, without me reading really the details of your bio, would love to look, kind of learn more from you. Uh, just a little bit about you, how you got started with Retail Aware, and then. Let's dig into retail aware and what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started my career building out a, a CRM for for a, a global re, re, apparel brand. And I think I was right out of high school. So you could say I've kind of been in the technology integration space for a while. And um, since then, I went on and, and launched, uh, you know, launched my own uh, integration business doing technology integration. And a, a lot of our customers were also in the retail space. And so that's really where I, where I cut my teeth on the technology side of the house. So this is actually uh, Retail Aware was kind of born out of a need that I encountered in my previous lifetime around uh, just this, you know, we talk about the, the black hole around the shelf, but uh, really understanding that we had there, there just really was little data around that moment of truth when the customer was standing there at the shelf. And so I obsessed around that problem. And, you know, after m and and selling the last, my last company, you know, reinvested a lot of that money in, in launching the, uh, you know, in launching Retail Aware and building the solution that we, that we found today. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about Retail Aware. What, what uh, got you to start Retail Aware? What was, what was the problem that you were trying to solve? And what's Retail Aware all about? Yeah, so Retail Aware provides real-time shopper data for brands and retailers. And again, it all stems from a small problem that we had. We had a, it's not a small problem, but cumulatively, brands will spend about $100 billion annually on all the things that go inside of a store. So think of things like your merchandising displays, placements, uh, promotions, TPRs, BOGOs, those types of things. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you really want to make data-driven decisions about where you allocate your shopper marketing budget on the shopper marketing side. And we have we have clients that I work with that just, they'd execute a campaign and we'd wait for the sales data and inevitably it was either up or down. And then the next question was why? <laughs> and so that was really where we realized, you know, and, and these are, and some of these are some of the biggest brands in the world that there really was a, a disconnect where as we're really good at understanding the shopper behavior, understanding that journey to the store and then post transaction because we have data, but it's that middle area where I'm standing at a shelf and I'm making a decision to pick up one brand versus another. You know, we've really felt like there, that there really wasn't good data around 
you know around that. So we like to think it's it's a little bit more you know things that we that uh, problem statements that that we work with uh, our clients around are around execution, attribution, A/B testing, demand forecasting, those types of things. And if they sound familiar, it's really because it's taking the digital concepts and bringing them to your in-store programs and applying that to that to that budget. So it's been fantastic, and we've grown significantly in the in the last few years. And we made a bet that real-time data would be king. And um, this year just really accelerated the need for that. What's a typical client, by the way, that you service? Yeah. So a typical client for us might be, you know, we have large appliance, you know, one of the world's largest appliance manufacturers, electronics companies, consumer product groups. So it really runs across the gambit. We, we cut our teeth in the grocery space. So we launched, you know, our first brand was actually a frozen food. You know, it's a frozen food company that was really trying to understand, you know, wraps of data around their in-store programs because they were making a ton of investment on, you know, fixtures going into stores. And so uh, that was really our, that's really where we started. Our roots are in grocery, but since then we've just, we've expanded across, you know, across multiple categories, but, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty solid in the um, electronics, appliances, um, the alcohol categories, (laughs) categories, I guess you could say, and just kind of gone from there. That's awesome. That's awesome. As I was reading, you have uh, what you call business intelligence as a sensor. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, so our bias platform is, you know, it's our award-winning platform that really helps us understand what's happening at the point of purchase. So we've kind of flipped the script a little bit and we developed our own proprietary microsensors that, you know, collect basic information, things that you would want to know from a campaign, like how many impressions you had, what, you know, how many engagements did you see from that, uh, what was the dwell time, very simple things that we're, we're used to collecting, you know, in the e-commerce world all day long, but really applying that to your in-store fixtures and your, and your in-store end caps and displays and whatnot. And so that platform allows us to collect first-party data around shopper engagement in a way that hasn't really been done at scale before. So it's been really exciting to see how clients will utilize that alongside, you know, alongside point of sale data and case sales data uh, to really uh, make data-driven decisions around how they're allocating their shopper marketing budgets and how their campaigns are performing. Makes sense. Makes sense. And, and walk me through um, kind of a typical implementation. So if I, if I have a store, I implement one of your sensors or multiple sensors, or how does that all work for me to be able to get this data? You know, that's a fantastic question because a lot of our innovation comes in how we design the system. So it's really two parts. One is the actual physical hardware, and then the second is the data platform that's aggregating all the insights and providing, you know, we do some machine learning on that end. But uh, essentially, it's very simple. We have a base station. It's about the size of a, a credit card. And that gets dropped into a location. So whether it's a maybe a large beverage company having dropping that, you know, affixing it to the back of a fridge, or we do have some retailers that we do work with directly where they're setting it up over by the, you know, at some point over at the register or wherever there's an available, you know, a power source. And that base station can communicate to hundreds of microsensors. And so the microsensors can be embedded on displays coming into the store, on pallets, on end caps. They can actually be put in aisle uh, physically around, you know, where there might be a promotion going on. And those actually combined together, they, they pair with the base station just like AirPods and they're battery powered and they last several years. So it's really just designed to be a, a, a 
a way, I like to say we're a data company, we're a data insights company that just happens to, you know, collect our, our data through first party microsensors. This is all, I assume, like real, real-time data to, to your customers? Yeah, so you could launch a campaign and you could see in real time, here are my displays, here's the performance of those. And, you know, especially with uh, on the digital side, if we're doing anything social, uh, instead of having to wait, you know, for the results, you can actually make changes and, and identify issues proactively uh, midstream. And that's been a huge, that's been a huge win. Really quick example, we had a client that just, that realized midpoint that they're part of their displays just weren't, weren't getting executed. And that, that single insight it really helped them go back and make design changes to their display and improve their execution rate and drive you know, a significant amount of ROI that they could have lost if they, just, if they didn't know. What sense of and what actions like decisions do you see your, your retailers take after they get this real-time data? Is, is it, like you just said, is it, do I have to go change uh, a certain promo in store? Like what, what sort of actions are they taking based on your data? Yeah. So first and foremost, um, the execution rate is really important, right? And you know, historically, we've we we send people into the location, and we, and, and that's why so much has been been invested in there. And I think that's really aligned with you know on the buyer side because we work with retail buyers as well. They want to hit their comms. They their displays better be executed, right? So that's one way where we start. Second is attribution. So understanding, you know, never before have we known what part of the store is contributing to the sale, right? We we can place product in different areas and measure it. But uh, now what we can do in real time is see, okay, that product was was picked up in, you know, aisle seven or the front of store is contributing to the to the most sale to that sales bump that we saw in that period of time. So attribution is a big piece of it, as well as when you're looking in real time, you can even attribute to specific campaigns or initiatives or programs that are running and actually see that lift. It's, it's really awesome to actually be able to see that and measure it. And then you also have A-B testing is another really big use case. Like you mentioned, testing, we actually have a packaging company that is do, will do short runs and is deploying these actual products into stores and measuring the performance of that packaging to actually, you know, things that we've done, you know, intuitively and, you know, we do all the time on, on the digital side, uh, we can start to do that in, in store and then finally, just understanding my, my velocity and my fill rates can really help drive supply chain efficiencies as well. When I understand, great, good point. I mean, good, case in point earlier this year, you went into stores and there wasn't toilet paper, right? That's the type of scenario that, um, that we like to prevent for clients. What's been the, in your eyes, what's been the evolution of uh, in-store data gaps in, in recent years? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that we've seen is this idea that, you know, one could argue that, you know, a lot of retailers just had too much data. And I think what we what really was indicative of of, is that we we didn't have a way to make that actionable. (laughs) And I think that was one of the biggest shifts that we've seen is now with the onset of, you know, things that I'm really excited about, you know, these AI machine learning platforms that are also coming coming out like ours. We do again. We do a little bit of that. Pro- we we do some of that processing right now. It really gives us the ability to get to the insight and get to the change that needs to happen uh, a lot faster. And you know, I think historically it was just there's a lot of data sources and there was a lot of really good data that you know retailers and brands were sitting on. But uh, it, it was always historically really difficult to consume and use and then apply that 
in kind of the scenarios that I gave earlier, like how does, how do I, what's the lever that I turn to, you know, improve the performance of that shopper campaign or that, or that display or, or, or that category, right? And that's one of the biggest things, the biggest opportunities we see. We're actually working with a Fortune 500 apparel brand as part of an assortment project. And they're actually using our activity data to fine tune their assortments in, in stores by location. And that's that's something that's, it's a really exciting thing to see. You, you see us get to <laughs> fast. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. How are you thinking about what's happened during, of course, the pandemic days and how, how shifts have been made in really consumer behavior? Are there things that you think, are you counseling your, your clients on now that you weren't maybe pre-pandemic? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is the pandemic uh, didn't change the course of everything. What happened is it accelerated a lot of the trends we were already seeing. So the consumer was already an omni-channel uh, consumer, right? And now that, that journey just accelerated and an adoption adoption just exploded. And so I think that's the thing that we that we saw is that shopper journeys and shopper behavior was absolutely impacted. When when it first came down, I mean we saw you saw that panic buying. I mean I hate I hate to say it, but you saw everyone buying things and you just couldn't keep certain categories on the on the shelf. And I think that was one of the earlier things that we saw, but then we also saw dwell times change, right? And an industry that has been optimized to keep you in a location as long as possible, when people are trying to get in and get out as fast as they can, that's a problem, right? That's that's a new behavior that we have that we have to learn through. And so we saw on our end, you know, from a data perspective, we saw changes in dwell time, frequency, but on the inverse though, we also saw larger basket sizes. So we saw clients reporting that basket sizes were larger during those same periods. So that that was a drastically different um, approach than we'd seen before. You know, we also saw in the sam- we also saw in the in the sampling and product discovery space, the big question became how do cons- how will consumers discover new products? So for a lot of the emerging brands that we that we work with, you know, it's it's already a challenge to to get into you know, to get into brick and mortar. Uh, but for a lot of DTC and consumables, they have to. I mean, that's that's part, you, you just, you have to um, have that footprint. And so it's just been really important to have a focus on understanding where the dollar is being spent, where you're getting placed, because the things that worked before, you know, that that playbook got thrown out the book, <laughs> thrown out the back, thrown out the back door. And so we had a lot of clients turn to us, say, help us understand what this new normal is going to look like. And, and we've tried to do we tried to do our best to really help paint that picture with data. Are you, uh, you know, being in the, in the space for as long as you have been? Do you counsel retailers on things that maybe they're they're doing wrong as they try to set up these experiments and locations? Yeah, we we try and let the data speak for itself. <laughs> so we look at ourselves as a, a toolkit on the tool belt. So just like the store of the future is an ecosystem of different sensing and technologies working together to deliver that experience, we see the back end, you know, we see kind of that same approach on uh, delivering data insights and and you know and, and business and business intelligence and optimization. So we're usually creating a data set around activity and engagement. You know, we've had heat maps forever, 
Uh, but what we're really trying to do is create this idea of a you know, of an activity heat map, of an engagement heat map, so that we can actually see what products and what areas and you know people are actually physically reaching in and engaging with. And so we do have on staff, we've got a PhD data scientist that works with clients as well and also validates a lot of our a lot of the insights that we're pulling out of the system. Um, but our data generally tends to live where API first, you know, we do some visualizations, but where the magic really happens is when you take our data and you combine it in a Tableau or a, you know, a management platform of some, and, and you overlay transaction data, your digital campaigns, and you can really start to see very specific insights. Case in point, the apparel retailer, again, overlaid, you know, they could see here's how the store was doing, but now we could even drill down by category and by, by product we could start to see the activity levels and the popularity of different assortments and, and product mixes. So, which has been fascinating. And now the category managers are excited to g- dive in there because it gives them more data to make decisions that drive stronger, you know, drive more sales and optimize that, that, that square footage in that space. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I can, I can actually see, you know, multi-location chains also using your, your product to see if certain products sell better in certain locations or, whatever the case may be, because uh, that's been a big thing uh, coming out of the pandemic that I hear from a lot of brands is they've actually used this time to, to figure out you know, what works and what geos and what locations and all that good stuff. So th- th- this can be a great way to, to do that as well. Yeah, localization, you're, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think localization is coming fast and furious in a way that hasn't been done in, in brick and mortar before. And I have one, one fat, fun a- antidote. Like we had a convenience store chain that we saw one door just had more traffic than the other, right? And so all they did is they switched their messaging from one door to the other. And, you know, and then they saw effectively that, you know, they saw a bump in that, you know, and whatever that, whatever uh, they were pushing in that door, uh, you know, whatever they were promoting. And so those are the types of things that we can, we can really start doing that we've been doing, you know, as experienced folks will do, will make these decisions based on gut instinct. Now we can start to standardize that and, and do that within a data driven way. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. We actually have a, we have a client that we've been working with for a while uh, to piggyback on your story a little bit that realized, you know, in certain locations, if they put sports up uh, from X hour to X hour, Dads typically come in during that time. They get distracted. The kid gets to pick up a couple extra units of candy or whatever, right? So incrementing the sales, if you will. So there's a lot of that that you can also, I assume, with your platform, be able to dig into a little bit more as well and be able to make more intelligent you know, decisions, if you will. Right, right. Keith, what are some technologies that you think uh, have been adopted at a faster pace than expected over, over the last few years? The thing that I I personally get more excited about is this idea that AI is no longer a buzzword, that it's actually we have real platforms and we have real we have new data sets. A, you know, we're creating an an engaged, you know, uh, an engagement data set. But where it really becomes powerful is when, you know, you combine our data and we're bringing in sales data, we're bringing in foot traffic data, we're bringing in location markers and on top of that, uh, and then also the digital side, we can we can do markers around campaigns and what's what's going on, and the the idea that we have systems now that we can consume that and pull out an insight without having to do weeks of manual labor and work is just it's it's probably the most exciting and I think the most game game changing piece and it's not just retail but I think for sure when you're talking about a 
average grocery store with 30,000 SKUs, that's a real game changer to start automating a lot of these decisions, you know, and driving just, uh, you know, doing things and driving returns that we just, I think we just haven't thought were possible before. Do you think that's going to evolve? Like if, if you if you look into the future, is AI what you think is going to have the biggest impact on, on shopping behavior? I think it's going to have the biggest impact on what we do about the changes in shopping behavior. I think if that's if that's fair, because the the consumer consumer preferences is evolving now. You know, we we say omni-channel quite often. In fact, we gave a whole seminar on omni-channel shopping earlier this year, and consumers are demanding choice, and they're demanding I want you know going back to the roots of retail, right right product, right place, right time, right. But we're also looking at how do how do they get the products from ship to store, curbside delivery to de- deliver at home. And so there's all of these uh, different options um, and they're all creating new data sets. Right. And I think on top of that, when you look at you use your your initial in-store, your physical data as a marker against all of these these new data sources, the, it really creates a whole new level of optimization that I think is going to be it's, it's going to be fantastic for the industry. I think, you know, especially as square footage has dropped, as we've seen the, the store footprints um, start to, you know, start start to shrink and, and skew assortments becoming, you know, instead of having five colors of one product, we can carry two. Right. As that continues to happen, it's going to create a better I think it's it, it, it creates rippling effects on on. Uh, it's better for the retailer, but I think it's also better for the consumer because we're just overwhelmed with choice these days. And I think if we can tap into consumer preference and get ahead of of what that what that is, it just it just makes a better shopping experience. Which I don't know about you, but I'm I'm excited about getting back out and having um, you know seeing some of the improvements from these investments and having better shopper shopping experiences at stores. No, yeah, me as well. Me as well. It's a, a, f- a funny thing. I know a lot of people are used to ecom, but but I'm I'm a, I'm an in store guy, right? So I want to go do my shopping, especially clothes and all that good stuff. So I'm I'm excited to get back in into the locations. <laughs> right, right, right. And going in there and not you know going in there and seeing that hey the shelf is stocked, <laughs> my size is there. Those are the things, and you know and that that happens with localization. That happens with being able to leverage these data sets. And so I, I think that there's just there's just a ton of opportunity there, and it's it's going to radically transform. We, we've talked about previously about experiences and creating experiential retail. I think that hasn't changed, but just the type of experiences we're talking about are are, are really around right product, right place, right time. Right time, yeah. No, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you, Keith. That was a wealth of information. Thank you so much for for joining us today. Before we let you go, uh, I know you travel between you know, Omaha and Chicago. What are some fun fun spots in Omaha that you'd recommend when people start traveling again? Oh my gosh, Omaha has a ton of hidden gems. We actually have we we call it the Bob Carey Pedestrian Bridge. It connects uh, Nebraska and Iowa, so you can actually it's a mile long bridge and from span to span, <clears throat> lit up at night. It's gorgeous. It's got a great view of the city, and you can stand in two states. <laughs> you can stand in two states at once. So. We've got a we've got a lot of uh, those things, and of course, our zoo here. We compete with San Diego for the TripAdvisor's number one zoo in the world, and so in terms of uh, popularity, so we have one of the largest square footage zoos and the largest geo geo uh, desert dome. Uh, it's a in in uh, I, I, at least for sure the country. I'm thinking thinking worldwide, but I don't know. I might I might be stretching that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, Keith. 
That's awesome. Thank you again for taking some time. I know our listeners are really going to be in for a treat. I uh, appreciate your time. All right. Thanks so much, Bobby. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.